The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hello, Dr. Ray. I'm sure I'm going to get really good advice from you. Why do I have to be the insightful professional? Thank you for empowering me. Here's what I think is going on. I think you're a hoot and a half. My idea, my theory, my guidance is a bit of a stretch. I just love your show. Does that comfort you? No. Am I close? No. You are really smart. I am sensitive and understanding and nurturing. Your show to me is like a comedy information show. Did I make you feel a lot better or what? No, you made me feel worse. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. What? Man, we are pre-recording this on the Good News Cruise, and we invited the folks here, some of the folks from the cruise. I've got nine of you here, which is kind of, kind of hurts, kind of hurts. But it's a good thing that that nine of you are severely maladjusted because I have all kinds of questions in front of me, which we're going to get to. That's the way we're going to do it. Not going to take any calls today. This will be kind of a least worst of. I have no best of. But it's a least worst of. Uh, the doctor is in here on Ave Maria, cooperating with EW10 Global Catholic Radio Network. And we're going to get to these questions momentarily. But with me, the man. Can I say man? I'm not gender assuming, am I? <laughs> the man who makes it all run, Mr. Steve Clark. You have kept me smooth on the air for years now. Not good on the air, smooth on the smooth. air. Smooth. Yes. Steve. Like a baby's bottom. How do you do this? You get on this ship, and by the way, I just want to say one thing. This will be the longest stretch that I have gone without eating on this ship. <laughs> just one hour. Straight. No food. They got stuff coming in half an hour from the jammer. How do you do that? How, how do you make this work? We're out somewhere on the ocean, right? Are we not? We are currently in the Dominican Republic. And that is one of the most challenging things that you can do is do a live radio broadcast from international waters or a different country. So, so I yes, got to know, know a different language? No, not at I, all. I can do Australian. But Hello. If you decide you want to learn technical skills, then I don't have to come anymore. But I like coming and being there Steve, with you. So. Steve, Steve, Steve. Technical skills. You're talking to a guy who wore his garage door opener for two years so people would think I had a pager. <laughs> we also know that we're still trying to teach Ray that that little circle with the vertical line at the top means power. That's sort of the universal. <laughs> you, every time I got a problem on the show, I talk to Andrew, who is my producer man, and he says, I can't handle that, talk to Steve. Because you make it run, man. Well, thank you. You are the, you're the bowels of the of the organization. <laughs> I couldn't think of the right word there for a second. That last line is what I was anticipating for. <laughs> I, I wasn't anticipating you honoring me, so I have nothing to say to that. But if you were looking at cutting me a couple of times, I'm ready. I saw what you did last year and how long it took you to bring this show up onto the air. Man, it took you hours. Remember we brought you food because you were here? That's correct. You lost 12 pounds. And, I, was, I was in this room from 11 a.m. to 1 a.m. 
on on day yeah. one. That usually generally hours. happens. 14 hours. And then about 15 minutes before airtime, we get it going. But so this I, is a great crew, by the way. I do not appreciate what you said when I came on the air. You said that 14 hours wasn't worth it. Yeah, I, I said that. that? You said that. Yeah. I said I that. I don't want to say nothing, but yeah. I do have to I have feelings. I'm not just a big, dumb jock. <laughs> <laughs> which, which adjective are we leaving out? <laughs> You're not big. <laughs> I do have to mention the Adventures of the Sea Crew have Please. been absolutely excellent during this whole process this year, and, and without them, we wouldn't be able to make this possible, too. So thumbs up for that, everybody. The Adventures of the Sea and their technical crew to help bring this together. You make it happen, Steve. Well, and so did they. I'm not good with compliments. In the words, in the words of the baseball player about Roy Hobbs, do you remember this line? There goes Roy Hobbs. From the natural. Best there is, best there was, best there ever will be. That's you. Jeez, Ray. Best there is, best Thank there was, you. best there ever will wow. be. Wow. Yeah, I told you. At this time, I'd like to announce my retirement from the radio profession. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Bless you, my friend. Enjoy your show. Okay. All right, before we go to your questions, a couple of things I deliberately asked you folks. You don't listen. I wanted true faults. I, I got a 50-50 chance of getting those. couple words I really would like to suggest you watch using in your vocabulary. If you could, maybe expunge it from your vocabulary. The first one, toxic. I hate that word. Oh, my mother-in-law is toxic. You realize that's poisonous? As a Christian, you call somebody toxic. That's almost like calling them evil. And we're not allowed to call people evil. We can say they do evil things, but toxic? I've had so many people above 60 come to me and say that their adult kid has shut them out because some therapist told them my mother is toxic. I hate that word. Toxic. Okay, maybe she's difficult or obnoxious or unpleasant or opinionated. Okay, those are all right. Toxic? What a nasty word. And here's another one, and I know you use it even more than toxic narcissist oh my brother-in-law's a narcissist do you realize if you look up narcissistic personality disorder in the diagnostic and statistical manual you would be really reluctant to call somebody a narcissist that is one pathological personality disorder completely totally self-centered self-absorbed unable to relate to other people because they're so locked into their own self image and their insecurity that's a nasty word somebody can be self-centered be self-absorbed they can think more about themselves than other people oh, i got that part my brother's a narcissist do you realize what you're saying when you say that and you're saying this is one self-absorbed maladjusted human being. danny you know this you're a therapist you know these words get flung around all over the place it's an ugly word. Watch, watch out. Because here's the other problem you have with calling somebody a narcissist, you see. When someone's a narcissist, they are self-absorbed with everybody, not just with you. So if you say, my spouse is a narcissist, but all the people at work love him or her, 
then you don't have a narcissist. You got somebody who interacts a certain way with you. Now, I'm not saying it's your fault. I'm just simply saying that's the context that they're acting in. One more word. Trigger. What the heck does that mean? Do you know what that means? That means that they do something that I don't handle well. If you are critical of me all the time, and I say, well, you're just, you're just a trigger for my bad feelings. No, you're not. I'm a trigger for my bad feelings. Why? Because I'm letting you get to me. There's nothing that says I have to feel put down because you try to put me down. You're not a trigger. I'm triggering me. All right, Steve, we don't have to take a break, right? I can go straight to the questions. Cool. All right, let's see what we got over here. A couple of, couple of personal ones. It says here, to the good doctor. Why do you call me good? No one is good but God the Father. <clears throat> I like, you know, quoting that scripture stuff. <laughs> How good are you at following your own advice? I don't know, about 40%, maybe, somewhere in there. See, here's the thing. You, you, now, here's another thing we shouldn't do to other people, but we do it all the time. I used to go on, boy, I'm hesitant to say this, man. This is, this is not good. I'm going to lose every bit of credibility I've struggled to build up. I used to be a regular on Jerry Springer. Yeah, but wait. It was before he dove into the sewer. This was prior to it. He was a relatively thoughtful magazine-type format show. So the last time I was on there, because a brawl broke out, I'm on the show, and there was a lady on there who was talking about teenagers. And I made a suggestion that if you have a teenager and they mouth off to you, well, try, try making them write a 400-word apology, handwritten 400-word apology. She bristled at that. She bristled. She turned to me. She said, do you have any children? And I said, well, yes, I have six. That's what we had at the time. The audience turned on her, right in her face. And I'm like, yeah. And then she said, are any of them teenagers? And I said, not yet. And then he turned on me. I was an intern at the Veterans Administration Hospital in Cleveland, Ohio. And I had a group for all of these older veterans. I'm sitting in there, I'm 25 years old. This guy comes in, he's all tatted up, and he says, you ever been in prison? I said, no, no, I haven't. What are you going to tell me then? And I said, well, and he said, how old are you? I said, I'm, I'm 25, but I'm almost 25 and a half. <laughs> what are you going to tell me? And I thought real quick, and I said, well, maybe... Maybe because I haven't been in prison, I might have something to offer you about staying out of prison. Well, he didn't like that one at all. But both of these cover, I think, the question here. Do you have to have somebody's personal experience to be able to give them advice? Think about that. Because if I had, and Dana here, she's a therapist, if I had the personal experience of all of my clients, I'd, I'd, I'd be dead. There's, there's, just, there's no way this is going to happen. About the only people I could work with is old 
white dudes that have a bunch of kids and have not divorced. That's about it. I couldn't work with women because I've never been a woman. I've never been in trouble with the law. I've never been on drugs. I couldn't work with anybody. So anytime anybody tells you, do you follow your own advice? You know what they're saying to you? I don't want to hear what you have to say. Because I've never had anybody accuse me of not living their experience when they agreed with what I said. So, do I follow my own advice? It is easier to give advice than to live advice. I can say that. So if I talk about trying to be a calm, confident disciplinarian, am I always that? No, of course not. But that's okay, because I'm dad and I rule. It doesn't matter. So, advice can be good whether you follow it or not. And I'll draw a little parallel to the scandal. All the people who left the church because they looked at these priests who acted the way they did. And they said, ah, I'm not going to be a Catholic because of that. Wait a minute. That makes no sense whatsoever. You're going to leave something that you once believed was the truth because of somebody who didn't act according to that truth. That makes no sense. Whatever those guys did was against Catholic Church teaching. So you don't look at the Catholic Church and say, well, I want no part of that because they're doing something totally opposite it. That makes no sense. Do I take a break yet, Steve? Andrew? Oh, oh, take it when you want to. My wife didn't write that. There's no way. Honey, are you in here somewhere? She, she ditched me. She ditched me. Okay, we've got to take a break. We're on the Good News Cruise, and I've got about, looks like about 25 questions in front of me. I'm already starting to get glares because people are saying, you're so interested in what you have to say. Why don't you answer our questions, Mr. Selfish, Narcissist, Toxic Trigger? <laughs> this is Dr. Ray. Thanks for joining me. He was a doctor of the church and one of the most famous saints of all time. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. St. Augustine is honored for his immense contributions to theology, but he balanced his genius with humility. Once declared it was pride that changed angels into devils, it is humility that makes men as angels. He died in 461. For more about the Doctors of the Church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com. The following program is brought to you in part by MyCatholicWill.com. Surveys show that more than half of Americans do not have a will. At MyCatholicWill.com, it takes as little as 15 minutes to write your will and secure a legacy of faith. MyCatholicWill.com is the exclusive online destination for creating a Catholic will. The process of writing a will is simple and now more accessible than ever. MyCatholicWill.com, a legacy of faith for those you love. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. Do you own popular index mutual funds or ETFs? If so, you're automatically owned shares of companies that conflict with your moral beliefs. Ave Maria mutual funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. 
The experienced professional portfolio managers make decisions based on investment fundamentals and pro-life values. You can learn more about Ave Maria Mutual Funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. A little cruise music. We are here at the Good News Cruise Board. A lot of really sweet people sitting out there. A lot of long-standing marriages. This, uh, I'm the, uh, I was a little offended. Uh, they put out this uh, nice schedule. And they have the speakers. And they usually give the title of the talk on the speakership. But uh, on mine, it just said Ray Garendi morning digestive period because you're on a cruise you got to eat every 17 minutes and that's a law you know this they got buffets i was looking i was checking out those lifeboats they got buffets on those things they do but here here we are on a high season steve where are we again you said we're somewhere we're in the Dominican Republic. Dominican Republic right, right next place to, I'm right sure next, you're familiar right with right next to Haiti is that the is that the we island we just came from Haiti and we just so overnight, so around. it was, an, you know, it's a few hundred miles. Okay. So this is where we are. This is the Good News Cruise. And uh, this, we're not taking any calls, but the folks here on the Good News Cruise, I invited them to ask some questions, and they responded incredibly, incredibly well. So a couple more here real quick. Dr. Ray, what's a relatively easy way to start with your spouse to increase communication? There was a very, very popular parenting course. I won't mention it. But in the course, they said 10 obstacles to good communication. And they listed these things you're never supposed to do. One of them was, I think it's totally ridiculous, you don't ask any questions. No, and questions is interrogation. You're looking for some place to place blame. I think questions are an easy way to understand how somebody thinks. If your spouse is upset, find out why. If your spouse looks at something a certain way, find out why. Ask them. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to like it. Don't argue with it. People come into my office and they'll tell me stuff that is sometimes among the most rot gut stuff you'd want to hear. And what do I got to do? I got to sit there and go, mm-hmm. Oh, I see. If I were to say, what are you, some kind of nut? What are you thinking like this for? What's wrong with you? They would walk out and I would lose my money. So I got to sit there and ask questions and try to understand why they think the way they think. That's a great, great principle for a marriage. You got to know why your spouse thinks the way they do about whatever it's easy to communicate that way because you don't have to worry about you just get them talking you ever notice people that you meet initially and you like them right away quick you like them you don't know why later you think back and you realize they asked all about me they were interested in my life my kids my marriage my family my religion my job I think I I think I know their name but the whole time they kept it focused on you. Did you ever notice that? It's a very appealing characteristic. And I got to tell you, it's something most people don't have. Because we're much more able to speak about ourselves rather than to think about a good question to ask that person. If she says to me, I have six kids. Really? 
what's their age range? And she tells me, I say, who's the oldest? She tells me, is he going to college? And just off to the races. It's real easy to do that in a marriage. Some people think that birth order is the most important factor in raising kids. And by the way, this is coming from a person that I want to insult because this person was obviously not at my breakout last night when I talked about birth order. <clears throat> you know who you are. Some people think that birth order is the most important factor in raising kids. Some people think personality of the child is. It ain't even close. The research on birth order is very squishy. It doesn't have much impact at all. What it, by the way, and I said this last night, you're worried about a middle child syndrome? Don't have an odd number of kids. You can't have a middle child without an odd number of kids. You can have an upper middle, a lower middle. Personality of the child. Every parent in here who knows and has more than one kid knows how different they are to raise. And it ain't because of something you did, it's who they are. When I was in grad school, nature versus nurture competition, you know, we thought, we thought nurture was the big one. You just do the formulas, you do the right things, you say the right things, you use iMessages, and this child just going to turn out exactly the way you want. That is so totally false. This kid is who he is, and you're going to put your morals and values on top of his personality. And hopefully, some of the kids absorb it. Some of the kids, it just bounces off of. There are certain kids that if I took them out in public, people would think I was God's gift to child rearing. And there's other kids, I didn't take them out in public till they were, well, probably wedding rehearsal dinner, I think was the <laughs> one time I brought them out. And that was without their parole officer. I didn't want them with their parole officer. What was your early life like? I was a lot younger. Um, actually, to tell you the truth, I used to be in tremendous shape. I mean, I was when I was when I was about one. You wouldn't recognize me um, from when I was one, and I, I was I looked very youthful for my age. People would say, "Oh man, you don't look one. What are you zero? Yeah, you you look in great shape for your age one." By the way, we had a had a fiftieth kindergarten reunion uh, just somewhat recently, and I. Uh, I didn't want to go back because I'd gained like 130 pounds since then. There was no way I was going back to kindergarten reunion. I grew up 100% Italian. My parish was St. Anthony's in Canton, Ohio, the parish of Mother Angelica. And in Canton, Ohio, if you were Italian, you had to go to St. Anthony's. That was the law. It was the southeast end, and anybody who's heard Mother Angelica talk know that's where she's from, Rita Rizzo, southeast end. My dad went to high school with her. And, in fact, uh, I knew about Mother Angelica long before the world knew about Mother Angelica because I went to a house when I was a freshman, a woman named Rhoda Wise. Rhoda Wise was involved in Mother Angelica's cure. She had a very serious stomach ailment and when she was 19, and she was cured. She gave her life to the Lord. And I knew about that before she, I mean, she was a prioress at Santa Clara Monastery in Canton, Ohio, which is, by the way, where we got uh, our seventh child. Uh, my kids are all adopted, and our, we, were, we thought we were done at six. My wife was coming into the church, and she went to Santa Clara, and she's praying, and she's talking to Mary. And she kind of said, I didn't really know how to talk to Mary. You know, I was just kind of talking to God, Christ. 
She said, Mary, you're a mom, and you want us to have another child. If we're to have another child, the Lord's going to have to drop it in our lap because I think we're done. Next day, we got a call. It's either the next day or, or that day. My wife's back there. She knows. And we got a call for a little guy. He was in intensive care, two months premature, about three pounds. One month intensive care, and uh, the attorney from Columbus said, I don't have any place to put this young man um, if you're interested. And so what do you do? You say, well, Lord, you know, if you want us to have a kid, just drop it in our lap. And then, oh, never mind. We didn't, we didn't think you meant it. And it's just interesting, that little guy right now is going to be 27, and he, of my children, is probably the one who is most, the most uh, close to the faith. This is Dr. Ray. program, Doctor, is in Monday through Friday. We are on the Good News Cruise, so we're not taking your calls, but we got a lot of questions from these dear folks. I would say stay with me, but, <laughs> but he's not going to leave because I said stay with me. Right now, as you know, America, Catholic Church, really the Western world, is being shaken. But let me read this passage. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 25, we'll go to 29. The writer to the Hebrews says, His voice shook the earth at that time, but now he has promised, I will once more shake not only the earth, but heaven. And that phrase, once more, points to the removal of shaken created things, so that what is unshaken may remain. We realize that nothing is fixed. Everything seems to be in flux. And that's the, why God's people need to be immersed in Scripture. Because there we come across the unchangeable and the unshakable God. Cresta in the Afternoon with Al Cresta for Eastern on EWTN Radio. What is idolatry? Idolatry is the worship of false gods. Paragraph 2112 in the Catholic Catechism tells us that Scripture constantly recalls the rejection of idols such as silver and gold fashioned by men's hands. Such empty idols make those who worship them as empty and dead and lifeless as the idols they create. The one true God, on the other hand, is the living God who gives life and who intervenes in history. Paragraph 2113 warns that man commits idolatry whenever he reveres or worships a creature in place of the Creator, whether it be power, pleasure, ancestors, the state, or money. Jesus Christ warned us that we could not serve both God and mammon. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. It's interesting, these guys who do the handwriting analysis, one of the big differences between men and women is that women have much better fine motor coordination. So you notice that in a woman's handwriting. A woman's handwriting is very nice, it's fluid, it's kind of warm and that. A guy just sort of looks like somebody took a pen and just sort of slammed it into the paper. <laughs> Any suggestions for dealing with a 43-year-old with drug addiction and hearing voices? that control him. Those are called command hallucinations. Uh, we have a 10-year-old. Oh, he has a 10-year-old living with grandparents. Uh, he lost his mom 
to, it looks like, uh, an overdose. Yow! Uh, well, the suggestion is, and I, I don't know how you can force this, but that individual needs to be seen through a medical doctor, particularly a psychiatrist. Okay, when you're hearing voices, that's something called an active hallucination, and most commonly is auditory, auditory hallucinations. Now, the problem comes in is you don't know how much the drug is interplaying with his actual brain chemistry that might have been in place when he was born. You don't know this, okay? So I would say, from your perspective, keep an eye on this person because uh, he or she could uh, be at risk. Uh, Self-destructive kind of behavior. And definitely, definitely, if you can get them to a psychiatrist. I'm just picking these at random, so I don't even know what's coming here. Um, <laughs> how to avoid an argument? When you start to argue, take your clothes off. <laughs> Honey, you want to argue tonight? I think what you said is really wrong. Well, not here. We won't argue here. I'll set up a time for us to argue. Yeah, when you don't have clothes on, you're not real credible. Some of us less credible than others. Oh, boy, there's so many good ones here. Uh, how do, this is interesting. How does the church overcome the divided practices or it fractures, maybe, within the church? Well, if you know anything about church history, you know it's always been there. It's humans. The church herself is divine, but that the people that kind of run things and the people that kind of supposed to follow it are all very, very human. You want an example of that? I know one guy. This guy was really high up in the church. I mean, he was way up in the church, and uh, his 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 HR department was was his, the way he selected was was really not good. He had uh, he picked twelve guys that were really uh, supposed to be his supporters, and uh, one of them swore an oath to a slave girl after following him for three years that he didn't know him. And that was the head guy. And then the other one that was supposed to be the brightest guy of the bunch uh, turned him into the authorities. And then the other nine hid because they were afraid they too were going to get persecuted. So I, I, the question I had for him was, who, who makes your selections? Uh, what kind of HR department do you have? <laughs> You know, they've done surveys that one of the reasons people say they leave the church is hypocrites. You know, the dumbest thing to do, but it's so, it's so human, is to say, I don't want any part of that organization because of those people who act that way. Now, that would be reasonable if it was an organization you just could choose as uh, I like to support the Detroit Lions, and I don't like the people in that support group. Or I don't go to the PTA meetings because I don't relate to those people at the PTA meeting. But when you're talking about something that's supposed to be infinitely true, the last thing you do is say, well, I don't know. Those people are all, look at the, you know, I grew up Catholic, and those Catholics, what they did is they were the biggest partiers on Friday night, and then they went to confession <laughs> on Saturday. Yeah, yeah they did. That's not what the church says to do. But we do this, and I'm a shrink. And as I said, 
I've been shrinking for a long time. I used to be 6'9". And the dumbest thing to do is to judge the truth of something by somebody who doesn't follow it. That makes no sense. I'm not getting married. Why? Because three people I know have divorces. Marriage is awful. Well, no, those three people didn't have a good marriage for whatever the reason. All righty, good stuff. Hey, Andrew, I got to take a soft break pretty soon here. Uh, hard, oh, hard break. All right. You know, Steve, one of these times I just wanted to ignore the hard break and see what would happen. Andrew there, he controls the whole show. I will tell you what happens. Okay, yeah, what right? would happen? What would happen is in the middle of your sentence, you'd be cut off and breaks would start playing and it would sound very awkward. Oh, like when I'm in an argument with my wife. <laughs> middle of my sentence. No, you wouldn't want that. <laughs> I got enough time here? Hard break? Four minutes. Oh, yeah. Our three children are in their 40s. If I don't call or text them, they don't call or text me. Mm -hmm. How do I establish more communication? I called my mom once. My mom's Italian Catholic. Very good at uh, raising me after I was 40. And I called her, and she said, hello? I said, Mom, Mom, what's wrong? You sound terrible. I haven't eaten in 28 days. Uh. Ma, why haven't you eaten in 28 days? I didn't want my mouth to be full of food in case you called. <laughs> <laughs> this is from a mom whose kids have just decided they're too busy for her don't sing cats in the cradle that's not a good song you want to listen to when you're when your kid is not wanting to see or talk to you I think this reflects an awful lot of the self-centeredness of our culture. Simply, my generation was probably the first one raised across the board very spoiled. Very spoiled. I had hot showers. I had air conditioning. I had a lot of entertainment. Had all the food I needed. Very, very spoiled. So as a consequence, it's easy for people when they become adults to become pretty self-centered. And mom and dad, yeah, 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 okay, well, I'll, I'll see you Christmas Eve there, ma. You know, just don't get too pushy about it. And that's what happens. My advice is, first of all, don't take it personal. The other thing you probably do is, what did I do wrong that they're like this? I didn't raise them like this. Well, you didn't, but the culture did. The culture is very powerful. And it shapes who we are. And that's why so many of the kids are leaving the church. We're in a godless culture, and the culture is very good at pulling them off. Not your failure. But the second thing is, here's what I would say. This would be me. You don't have to. You can ignore me. You can call or text, and I'll ignore you. Um, you make the calls. You make the texts. And you don't get anything back. Start spreading them out a little bit. I know that sounds funny, doesn't it? No, no, I should keep doing more. No, you're not, you're not disappearing. But at some point, you're taking the cue, which is, okay, I'm reaching to you. You're not reaching back. Apparently, 
you kind of want to live the way you want to live. Hopefully you'll come around at my funeral. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio. There was a big story about this Catholic college saying, oh, we are going to open our doors to anyone who identifies as a woman. So a male student coming in, but if he calls himself a woman, that's fine. This is all about diversity and equality. This is a Catholic women's college. And so, thanks be to God, there was a lot of pushback. And guess what? The school rescinded. How important it is not to give up and to remember that we can and should respectfully, always with love, express our concerns. It doesn't matter. The victory is up to God. But sometimes we do see that success in the victories, as is the case with St. Mary's College. It says now it needs to go back to its roots and get a deeper understanding of what it means to be a Catholic college for women. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo. John 6, verses uh, 48 to 58. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread, meaning me. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat of it and never die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh, at which the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're scandalized by this. How is it that we're not? How is it that we just hear this and go, Oh yeah, I know that passage. They're just outraged and at least perplexed. Sane people, inspired teachers... Wise men, prophets, don't say things like this. You got to. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful story. This has never happened, ever, in anything I've ever done. Somehow, someway, they drugged my wife, Randy, up here. This is a woman who keeps such a low profile because she's very supportive of me. She says, Ray, I don't want to make myself look like a jerk like you do. (laughs) Uh, Honey, how did they even get you up here? They were very persuasive. Yeah. I I have no idea. They did that body thing where they they moved you along (laughs) and the body all the way up here and dumped you up here. This is my lovely wife, Randy. Uh, We've we've had... I was trying to hide back there. I know. We, we met, and then, bang, five and a half years later, we were married. <laughs> oh, talk about stories. <laughs> Honey, what I hap- know. What happened when you, oh, when it you gave me the ring? It wasn't pretty. I, okay. I gave her a ring at the Newman Center in Kent because I thought, okay, got to do this. Now, I don't get nervous easy, but I was shaking. Like, I was shaking like a leaf, man. I was as single as they come, and I'm thinking, the rest of my life of my life so I gave her the ring and did you cry or anything like that uh, no I guess I made one mistake though yeah I asked well when do you want to get married what kind of question is that <laughs> and his response was are you never satisfied <laughs> okay maybe not as smooth as I am now 
Honey, you got to tell the story. What's that? Of Andrew. Our son. I'll, I'll, I'll lead up to the elevator. Okay, baby? Okay. All right. Our first son, Andrew, was born with a cleft lip and palate. Now, we did not know this was going to happen. We were at the hospital, and the young girl, she was 17 years old, she said, I want adoptive mom to be at the hospital to be the first one to hold him. What a sweetheart move that was. So we're all excited. We're waiting. We're first-time parents. We're figuring we're never going to have kids. So little Andrew was born, and the nurse, who is a friend of ours, kept us updated. Ah, he's almost here. Oh, things are going good. It's wonderful. And she came in, and she said, he's here. And I went, he's here after all that buildup? And then she said, the doctor will be down to speak to you. Now, this is not what you want to hear on your first kid. So Andrew was born with a complete lift of the cleft and palate. Before the surgery, modern surgery, these kids were outcasts. They couldn't speak. They couldn't eat. They were viewed as severely developmentally delayed. They were just thrown out of the village. And for a while, they were the number one reason for divorce. Right? So we, we spent about a, maybe a week at the hospital learning how to feed Andrew with a syringe and all that kind of stuff. Getting ready to go home on the elevator. Go ahead, baby. Well, as a new mom, I was, I was excited to have this you know, little one. And all my friends were having babies, too. And so there was that immature selfishness. And now I got my little, little one. But my little one had a great big hole in his face. And it was a little startling when you looked at him. We got in the elevator, and there was a gentleman in the elevator who looked at me and said, Oh, you have a new baby. Can I see him? And I just froze for a second. Okay. So I pulled back the blanket off the carrier, and he looked into his face, and he said, Oh, he's beautiful. And uh, those are just the words that I needed to hear. And the elevator doors opened up, and the gentleman got off, and we got off behind him. And I looked to my right, and I looked to my left, looked straight ahead. He was gone. There was, yeah. I, I said that was either my angel or Andrew's angel. I'm not sure. And interestingly enough, Andrew, Andrew had five or six surgeries. And his last surgery, he, had, uh, he was nine years old. They had to do a flap to cover up some of the palate. And he had a, a distended stomach because he had been under anesthetic the nurse came in and said Andrew do you think you can pass gas and he said no but my dad can <laughs> she honey she tried to control herself yeah, didn't she she left the room <laughs> I chased after her and said here pull my finger <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember the first time I came home from Cleveland Clinic, and they said, you're not going to conceive. Forget it. You know how you read these stories? Oh, remember these people were told they weren't going to conceive, and then they had 19 kids? The urologist said, you're not going to conceive. You have a condition present from birth. It was called Sertoli-only cell syndrome. Now, my grandmother was very happy it was Italian. And I thought about suing my mother for this, but I talked to an attorney. He said the statute of limitations probably ran out. Okay, fine, I'm not going to sue mom. But then I told her, I said, this better not happen again. And I was in my mid-30s. I was 35. 
And you figure, okay, maybe biologically we could have had one or two or three more kids, maybe maybe four at the outside, because she was 19. And, <laughs> and I came home and I said, forget it, honey. He said, no kids, no kids for us. I said, well, okay, maybe we can try to adopt one, maybe two if we're lucky. And uh, God gave us 10, you know that? 10. 10, yeah. <laughs> we used to go to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we'd walk in with kids they were all under 12 at one point. There's 10 of them under 12. And you'd hear the waitresses go, they got 10. There's 10 of them. And he would go, 10? They're made out of 10? <laughs> so, but he gave us 10. And uh, I, for years, for years, I paid no taxes. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing in taxes. For years. Hey, baby, you want to you take a question here? Not really. Uh, okay, I know that. Right, hold on a second. If it's easy. It is easy. I'm trying to... Okay, that's the naked one. You didn't like that one. No. No, okay. I'm trying to find one that's... Uh, uh, okay, how about this one, hon? You're good at this. A friend's daughter, age 35, is holding her parents hostage due to her mental illness. We have a daughter uh, with mental illness. Parents are afraid that she'll commit suicide and they live their lives and go on in a uh, looks like uh, and and live they live their lives and go on a cruise. Is that someone here? <laughs> so, honey, what do you do? You got to I think that's a question for a psychologist. <laughs> Would you tell me what I think? <laughs> Here's the question for you then. We had a couple kids, turned 18, 19, and were, uh, how shall we say, reluctant to cooperate. What did we do? What did we do? Well, we didn't enable them. Okay. What okay. else did we do? Why am I You're the What did we do? We, <laughs> we had them leave. Oh. Had them leave. Not because we didn't love them. Here, here's why we did it. Because I knew if I allowed them to live that way under my roof, because I was deathly afraid of where they would land if they weren't under my roof, I would only be prolonging hurting them. Now, they're much older now. As a matter of fact, my one son works on a cruise. He, he works and makes more money than all of his brothers and sisters who have professional degrees. He makes more money. He works on a cruise. He works 192 hours a week. But did you think you could do that, honey? Did you think you could actually, when a kid gets to be 18, 19, 20, who was not being cooperative or pulling some major league bad stunt, that you could say, okay, you can't live here now? Certainly. Did you know that when they were five? I probably did. Because you told me that a couple times. Yeah. You said, you can't, <laughs> can't live, live here, here anymore. But you can send money. <laughs> I was surprised. In one of, one of the books I wrote, I talked about... I wondered if I could do that. You know, when they're little, they're so sweet, and they play mass, and they draw pictures of Jesus, and you're just thinking, oh, they're all going to be St. John Bosco and Mother Teresa. I'm so good at this. And then they become grown-ups with their own ideas and their own free will and their own shaping of the cultural forces. And you look at him, and he's 21, and he's in your basement, and he's playing video games, and the last job he had was 12 hours a week, just enough to pay for his phone bill, and you're thinking to yourself, what do I do here? I mean, where's he going to land? And I always wondered if I could do that. 
and I couldn't, but she could. <laughs> no, no, actually, we were we were of we were of one right. on that one. We knew we had to be. But I'll tell you how many times I run against parents who are not. That's that's almost the rule. One parent says we can't live like this. We're not we're not helping this person. The other parent says we can't do that. Where will they go? What will they do? And the big club? Suicide. And parents will tell me that. They'll say, I could never, ever, ever live with myself if something tragic happened. And I say, well, now, now, okay, if that's the case, then you have to let that child live here and shut your mouth. Quit trying to push on that child. You, let, you just let them live the way they want. Because if you're saying... I could never, ever live with a bad outcome. You put yourself in a position to say, I've got to live this way. And the worst thing you could do living that way is to butt heads with a kid. Forget it. Don't do it. Right, honey? Oh, break. We've got to take a break. This is Dr. Ray. Doctor is in here on the Good News Marriage Cruise Adventure of the Seas. Wonderful, wonderful boat. I haven't really seen any of the activities because I've been in the buffet, the windjammer. I tallied up my hours so far. How long have we been on this cruise? What, three days? So 72 hours? I've been in the buffet 61 hours. <laughs> they didn't it, like it. It's starting to show. Is it, honey? <laughs> it is starting to show. All right. Eat long, be strong. That's what we say in the weight room. I'm Dr. Ray. We'll be right back. I turned from a recreational drug user to a drug addict. That took me to my knees. I lost a family, almost two families. I lost friends. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. I love it. My heart's there. I took communion after 18 years, and I, the rest of the Mass I sat and cried. God restored my life. God restored my family. God restored my love. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org today. And now, the EWTN Family Prayer with Father Joseph. Family, a prayer that we pray together is a powerful prayer. So please pray together with me our EWTN family prayer. Today we pray for the caregivers of the sick. O most holy trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we adore you. You have first loved us. And through your Son, you have taught us the excellence of self-giving love. Give to those who are caregivers of a sick parent or child, brother or sister, the assistance of your holy angels. Lessen their burdens and give them great joy in practicing a work of mercy. And since charity is never forgotten by you, reveal to them their heavenly reward. Amen. This program is brought to you by the following nonprofit underwriter. Are you longing to hear God's voice? Lord, teach me to pray. The free Ignatian prayer series will open your heart to His voice, to the peace you are seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy, knowing Jesus personally. Lord, teach me to pray is free. Go to lordteachmetopray.com, click on the red box, order the Lord, teach me to pray series now. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Thank you. 
Nice to have you with me, Dr. Ray Grandy program. The Doctor is in Monday through Friday. This is pre-recorded here on the Good News Cruise, Adventures of the Seas. A fabulous week with a lot of sweet, sweet people, a lot of great marriages. And I've been fortunate enough to be invited here with my wife, Randy, who's actually sitting next to me. This is this is a rare, rare treat. A miracle. <laughs> Yes, it is. If you, I couldn't even get her to go on Springer with me. I had to talk about her by myself. One last question. We're taking questions from all the audience, and uh, we're going to have more of these questions in the next two shows, plus calls. During Mass, Lord, I am not worthy to receive you under my roof. Only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. Does this mean... Without an act of contrition, I can receive communion. Yes, if you are not conscious of any grave sin, this is a penitential rite. You, it removes all venial sins, I hate to say small sins, venial sins from your soul. Absolutely. This is, uh, this is done so that we can approach the Eucharist about as clean as we can be. I always, you know, I'm so scrupulous sometimes. I worry about <laughs> doing something wrong on the way up. <laughs> it's true. I'm going up there and I'm thinking, okay, no, just don't think anything crappy, Ray. Just just keep your cool. And then, and then it's like, oh, shoot, I shouldn't have thought that. Okay, and then I'm saying it again right before communion. You know, talk about scrupulous. That's pretty bad. But yes, the church is very, very merciful that way. Um, there's a, just a stack here. By the way, the number one question I receive from you here, from clients, and from the radio has to do with the older children who have left the faith. Very, very common. Uh, I talked about how to deal with that yesterday in the, on the uh, first session. Um, but in fact, there's just an enormous amount of self-blame that goes along here. Andrew, how much time I got? I want to tell him a quick story. Minute and a half. Okay. You remember? You remember the miniseries Jesus of Nazareth? Okay. That that guy, And I couldn't understand Jesus of Nazareth because all those guys had British accents. All the apostles had British accents. Yeah. So what happened was, remember when Mary Magdalene came to the upper room, pounded on the door. And Peter answered, and Mary Magdalene said, I saw him. He's risen. I saw him. He told me to tell you. And Peter had his arms folded. You know, like the, like the shrinks tell you, you know, close up your body language. And he just stared at her. She said, you don't believe me. You don't believe me. And from the back of the room, St. Thomas said, women's fantasies. And she erupted women's fantasy I saw him die where were you and then she calmed herself she said he told me to tell you and I have done so and she left he told you to raise them to the best of your ability at the time given what you knew and where you were and you have done so this is Dr. Ray I gotta run Walk with God, but here on the Good News Cruise, you might have to swim with God. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Bye. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook and Instagram. 
The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.